0: Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, I just want to take a moment and welcome you. If you're a guest, kicking the tires on Timber Creek. Maybe you are uh, new to church, but not new to Jesus, or maybe you're new to both, and you're just trying to figure out some next steps in life. We have really designed this church with you in mind. It's so glad to have you. From all of our locations, let's, let's welcome our guests today. Glad to have you. I also just want to say uh, it's crazy what God is doing at Timber Creek Church where we're growing so fast. You know, there, there are two ways that the church grows. Uh, it is by um, uh, inviting guests and having guests come and decide they, they want to be a part and also having babies. And you guys have been busy. Doing both. And uh, so we are having more and more. We are just uh, growing and growing. I've been meeting with our uh, architecture firm here at the Lufkin location. Uh, Guys over in Nacogdoches, uh, we are securing a lease on an additional 5,000 square feet over there at the Nacogdoches location. So exciting, gonna get, get to do that today, actually. Um, but on top of that, we are looking right here at the Lufkin location, kids, cars, and connection space. Kids, cars, and connections. We, we know that you can't drop your kids off if you can't park your car. And uh, we need a place to connect, too. So we are working at expanding all three of those areas. In the meantime, I wanna make a little housekeeping moment. And this is where I can totally be misunderstood, so I hope you hear uh, don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. So uh, I, I will say that last week in our services, we had 27 babies in our adult service. Wow, 27 babies in our adult service. And yes, that's awesome. Um, but also I want you to know that there are not only this location, but, but thousands of people joining us every week and our microphones pick up the entire congregation. And so, cause so when I tell a joke, at least they hear that people don't laugh or whatever. Um, but like, um, if your child is with you, we obviously are so glad we, we, we're, we're growing this church and we love the next generation. But we also know that sometimes kiddos get energetic and talkative and it's sweet and it's cute and it won't bother me a bit. But I also will say that those sounds can kind of permeate through the sound system and they can kind of be heard quite a bit. And also it could be, not that it would bother me, but there may be somebody here that, like a friend I just talked to just in first service who is really struggling. And I would just hate for something little to become maybe a distraction for something that, that God would want to do in somebody's life. So here's just the kind of the protocol. Number one, we have a absolute, professionally trained nursery team that is background checked and loves your babies and gonna give them an incredible environment of theirs. So please, if you've never tried out KidWorks, it would be worth it. You can keep your kids in here, no problem. Nobody's gonna keep you uh, from the door. But if they do get energetic in the middle of service because of those around you or because we have a family room, we have the lobby, we have coffee shop, we also have a cafe, or or, pardon me, KidWorks, that we can help you find a spot for there if you just wanna dip your toe in KidWorks. Sound good, everybody? All right, okay, let's go on to the world spins madly on. Our key scripture, our key scripture has been found here in the book of Psalms. David says it like this, the steps of the God-pursuing ones. I want to be known like that. I want to be known as a God-pursuer. The God-pursuing ones, those steps follow firmly in the footsteps of the Lord. There's no wishy-washy, there's no, no kind of, I don't know, it's, it's not an iffy, it's a follow firmly. The same way that you would set a price firm on a house or firm on a car, there is no better offer, God delights. In those that are pursuing, following firmly after the footsteps of the Lord. And the scripture goes on to say, God delights in every step they take to follow him. Many times we have only delighted in the church with like one, two, or three certain steps that are really big steps. But I want you to know that no matter where you are in your investigation of Jesus, or you're deciding to follow him, or you're in your 50th year around the sun serving Jesus, he delights in every step. There is no such thing as really small steps because a bunch of small steps equal a lot of big steps. Every small thing is really big things in disguise because all those things compound. And every step is what we've been talking about when it comes to this series, The World Spins Madly On. 35 million heartbeats a year, 529,600 minutes in those 365 days. And many times what can happen is we will spin through those days and we'll look back and say, why didn't I finally get control of my anger? Why didn't I finally say no to doing that thing or finally find some help with something that's been holding me back and I've never told anybody about it? The world will spin madly on whether you want it to or not. And so I invite you to evaluate those steps. Now, in this world that spins madly on, we're in week four. First week, we talked about it's time to decide. Like pesticide or insecticide, you kill that stuff. Well, deciding is killing your options. It's, it's not so much the Israelites that they didn't love God grow, all through the Old Testament. It's that they wanted to keep their options open. They loved God, but they also liked the rain God and the sex God and the farm God. Like they wanted all the gods. And so like, if things weren't going well and God wouldn't answer them, they'd pray to the rain god. Like like they wanted to keep their options open and it's time to kill your options, everybody. It's time to decide whether you're gonna serve him uh, or or, or go another year, you being God. It's time to decide. It's time to decide to get closer to God, not just get more knowledgeable about God. You can learn more stuff about the Ark of the Covenant and you can can memorize seven more scriptures. The devil can memorize scripture, good for you. (laughs) But it's, it's really not so much about philosophy and about knowledge, it's about proximity and connection. And I want you to know if you feel distant from God, um, he's not moved. You know what God's terrible at? Hide and seek. Like he doesn't wanna play hide, he, he is a terrible hide and seeker. His shoes are hanging out, the, out of the curtain, I promise. Like you can see him. If you seek him, you'll find him. But you gotta search with him, you gotta get serious about it. It's time to prepare our hearts. Many times, it's it's not that we want to hear God speak to us, but it's not an ear issue, it's a heart issue. It's not a hearing issue, it's a heart issue. And the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do, everything you are flows from the heart, the integration of your thoughts and your emotions and your desires. Last week, we talked about it's time to choose rest over hurry, it's time to choose a rest over the rush of the craziness of this culture. As a matter of fact, in this kingdom, in this culture, the world we live in, in the pursuit of the American dream, hurry is rewarded, gotta hustle, gotta go, gotta make that money, gotta go, 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 go hustle, 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 like, and it's rewarded. There's nothing wrong with hard work, nothing wrong with hard work at all. As a matter of fact, work existed before the fall of man. So like in a perfect world, in a perfect paradise, work existed. So work is a beautiful thing, it's a God thing, but hurry, hurry, and rush, 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 that is anti, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an antagonist to the plan that God has for your life. In his kingdom, rest is rewarded. As a matter of fact, I'll take it even a step further and know that in his kingdom, Jesus says, come to me, those who are, are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But it's not just rewarded. It's not just rewarded. It's actually like required. Like like rest isn't just a, you know, you ought to be thinking about this. Look at God. The very first thing we learn about God is that he's creative, that he's a genius. In the beginning, God created. Fifth word, he's a creator, God. And for six days, he creates. Whoa, like like all these things. That was him making woman, sorry, but but, moving on. Like he makes all this stuff. And then on the seventh, seventh day, what does God do? The seventh day, God rests. Yeah, he finally is so beat and so worn out, he wipes the sweat off his brow, he takes the other No, no, he chooses even in the very beginning in the first days to show us rest is an important part of humanity. When you go to the 10 commandments, which were like, like the top 10 rules for a nation that was coming out of slavery and bondage and becoming their own nation... He says, there's gonna be a whole lot of rules, but you gotta follow these first. And all of these, hang on, love me with everything and love people like that. But then after that, there were these other commandments that he gave to them. And maybe you might know some of them. The first three in this order, worship only one God. The truth is everybody worships something or somebody. So if you're gonna worship and give your surrender to, why not it be the one true God? Worship only one God and let it be me. Don't have any other idols. Don't have any other idols. There's a lot of people, things you can turn to, turn to me. Don't dishonor God's name. Make it, you know, Keep it holy. Don't, don't take it just kind of in vain. We get to number four. We'll come back to that one in a minute. We get the next three. Honor your father and mother. And all the fathers and mothers said, Amen. I thought you would have been a little bit more excited about that one. Uh, <laughs> You know, after that, it's not until that that then we finally say, yeah, you know, you ought not murder anybody either and don't commit adultery and uh, don't steal anything and don't lie about stuff and don't desire what doesn't belong to you. That's don't covet. There's the 10, there's the 10. And I know that if you are a grandma or a mom worth their salt, you want your kids or your grandkids to like kind of not disobey those. (laughs) Like, it'd be good if you like, you know, ought not go around killing people and whatnot and everything, okay? Um, Like, we we don't want... Uh, to break those. We wanna, you know, we wanna try, whether you have put God as the Lord and Savior of your life or not, you wouldn't want people to commit adultery against you. You wouldn't want people to steal from you or to lie to you or to murder you. Like, you know, you'd you like to stay alive. And, and so the same way that you would have others do unto others as you would have them do unto you, we, we wanna follow these things. But here's number four. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Here's another way to say that. Every seven days, you take a day to rest. Every seven days, you take a day to rest. You can't have great music if it's just beat after beat after beat. Every once in a while, the beat don't go on. It's with a rest. There's gotta be a a rest in the rhythm. Remember that every seven days you ought to take a break and just rest. Now, we say amen, but here's the deal. How many times in the last, I don't know, week or month or year have you had a conversation like this saying, hey, how's it going, Gary? And Gary says, oh man, burning, burning, burning my end with both candles, my man. <laughs> I'm busy, busy, busy. Just crazy. Just cannot get a break. I'm just running, running, running. I have been working 14 days straight and then I got this and then I got that. Then we got baseball. Then we got to get over to the dance recital. Then we got to do this. And then we got to make this happen. Then we got to clean the office. Then we got to make that happen. Then we're going to finally going to go to vacation. Thank God we're going to go to vacation. But while we're on vacation, we're going to be busy, 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 busy. Run, 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 run. Anybody ever had that conversation? Instead of us saying, oh, Gary, oh, you're dishonoring God by breaking the fourth commandment. (laughs) We're saying, oh, dude, I know, spinning plates, bro. Dude, me too. Yeah, You, you. we just like wear it like a merit badge. Nobody's going around saying, Gary, how you doing? Oh, man, it's been crazy. Every week this month, I've been committing adultery. You're not like, you're like, you know. You wouldn't honor that. But yet why do we feel okay to honor this culture's idea of what real success looks like? I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm saying your experience is not your best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. And you've got 168 hours in a week, and I've got 168 hours. And how we spend them will be how you spent your life. Your time equals your life. You can overeat. You can overspend. You can overworry. You can overestimate. You can't not overlive. You can't overlive. You've got one life, and it's determined for man who will be born and wants to die. And then after that, the judgment. So the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, he really encourages the Christians in Rome to really take inventory of the way they're living. And in the message paraphrase, he, he says it like this, and it's, it's almost like a prayer over them. Um, and, and if it were to be, it'd be like a prayer for me over you today. But the Apostle Paul says it like this. Hey, here's what I want you to do. God helping you, because it, here's the deal. You, you are a terrible numberer of your days. You don't number your days well. Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. But how many of you are, are my age or younger or older, and you have said already 20 times this month, man, where does the time go? Seeing some of my, my buddies, dressed up with their beautiful daughters last night at a daddy-daughter dance. And I just have to make a quick phone call to my 19-year-old who lives three hours away and say, there's nothing I would wanna do more right now than just have you come and dance, put your feet on my feet and just dance with you like you're a little kid again. But it just goes, everybody. It just goes. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Take it. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life, okay, you, you take it. And I, I don't want us to get a, a mechanics view like underneath the bus. I, I want us to take a drone shot view. If you were to take the way you lived last week and the week before in 2022 and 2021, and you collect that together, your ordinary, everyday, okay? what would it look like? What would you be proud of? What would you be frustrated over? What would you wish you could have maybe carved out or added to? And let's talk about this life right here for just a minute. In America, the average lifespan has moved from 72 years old to now 78. Years and years ago in the 1800s, it was 37. 37. <laughs> 78 years the average person has on this earth, average. Um, If you live 78 years, 26 years of your life, you will be sleeping. Out of the 78, 26 years, you'll be dreaming or nightmaring, whatever it is for you. Here's the deal though, it's actually 33, it's just there'll be another seven years where you're trying to sleep, but you can't sleep, truth. (laughs) You'll be laying awake, worrying about junk. 26 years sleeping, seven years trying to sleep because my wife is next to me crying because Dak Prescott. (laughs) Moving on. 11 years on media. 11 years on social media or TV, the average person right now is gonna spend in front of a screen. We really think about how work consumes most time, but the average person will only work 10 and a half years total, like all those hours combined, 365 days, the the accumulative of 10 and a half years working. So more time on social media and TV than actually working. Uh, Four years driving somewhere, not even to the destination. Just driving, just going wherever, who knows? Eight months waiting in line. You don't even know what you're waiting for. You're going to be waiting in line for eight months of that life. Here's another interesting, seven months on the toilet. And some, some of you wives are like, add a couple years, okay, for my spouse. Because now you got the media and the toilet combined. Like now it's just people are taking a lot longer. Those reels aren't going to watch themselves, you know. Which by the way, I would just say, I have a genius idea. If we could figure out how to combine waiting in line. Anyway, moving on. I'd just say you save a little time, four years eating. You spend four years of your life eating. You're gonna spend four and a half months if you're a woman getting ready, just getting ready. You already look beautiful. You don't need that much time. The average man only takes six weeks getting ready. It's true, it's science. It is science. You add all this up. And really, you and I, when it comes to man, I wish I had some breathing room. I wish I had like the free time to do what I think is most important. The average person has about eight years beyond these things to make sure the most important things are the most important things. The apostle Paul says, listen, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life. Compile it investigate it, and he says, place it before God as an offering. Now, I don't bat a 1,000 when it comes to giving good gifts to my wife. I've given her some gifts and she was like, you are amazing, (laughs) like you don't even know. And then other times she's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. You, you do know who I am, right? Okay. Did you pick this out or did a friend of mine had to pick this out for you? Oh my, I'm not even going to get into therapy. That that's, I'm not even going to get into all this. Like I'm proud of some of the things I've placed before my wife as a gift. My question for myself and for you, when you consider all of that collection of life and you place it before God as an offering, what needs to change? What isn't where you know it needs to be? Paul goes on to say, hey, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you end up fitting into it without even thinking. But that is the culture, isn't it? Rush, rush, rush. I wanna keep up. I don't want my kids to feel left out. So we're giving five-year-olds iPhones? Friends friends like we, we we don't want our kids to not have the the next bet look I, I was guilty i mean i i grew up i didn't have air jordans i had michael jackson's that was like the walmart version l.a <laughs> gear you know some of you grew up on la gear some bk knights and some pay less yeah yeah let me live my life i remember my first set of nikes that i got i was living large 25, married, you know. <laughs> no, my parents provided a lot for me, but you know what? There is that rat race in all of us, that race like I wanna, I wanna try and maybe provide a little bit more. I want them to be able to experience. I want them to be able to have. And, and, and so what we do is in order to get the most out of life, we drive at the absolute limit of our lives and we end up losing control of our lives. Um. We're not even thinking about what we're really placing, not just before our kids as an example of how to live, but before God as an offering. Like this is an offering that we offer him the way we live. So how do we think about this? Okay, the first few weeks of this series has been more setting a theological foundation, biblical uh, foundation. This is biblical but instead of it being some supernatural things that we invite Jesus to do, today we're gonna to talk about some strategic things that we do. There's a divine partnership between what God wants to do and then the two feet in a heartbeat that you have for you to do. It's a, it's, a, it's a togetherness where when he does something in your life, he also expects you to move forward too and do something physically as well. And so we need to think about this stuff. And this is the way we learn new things. Uh, I've adapted this from um, what some of you may know, especially if you're in the education field, Bloom's Taxonomy. It's really a way people comprehend information, how they collect it, and what they do with it inside the mind, um, and how it actually does something for someone. I've adapted this a little bit into uh, something that I think is going to be helpful for all of us today. But let's let's start here, that knowledge is all around us. You don't just, today used to be you'd get in the horse and buggy and you'd leave early and you'd bring a, a lunch and you'd go to church and you'd have church and then you'd have picnic on the grounds. And then because everybody was there before you go, went back home in the horse and buggy, the, the pastor would get out a guitar and they would sing and they would have a Sunday night service. That's, that's how Sunday night services started. Like, like it all has a progression, but the more we knowledge back then was like, a, like gold, like a commodity. You had to go somewhere and find it. It did not just find you, but now knowledge is more like a utility. It's like tap water where you can just walk right you, in your pocket. You can just turn on the tap water of knowledge and you can Google whatever you want to Google in five seconds or less. Like knowledge is anywhere, everywhere, and it's amazingly dangerous because now we're not receiving knowledge of people that we've trusted that have been gone through the process or, or people that we know and we also see their life. We can get knowledge from anyone, from anywhere, at any time, and think that it's actually good and it actually can be strychnine for us. But it's not curated anymore. You can get knowledge anywhere these days. You can get a a better sermon online from another preacher a lot better than me. So you don't just come to get knowledge, you, you come to be part of something larger than yourself, a community of faith, uh, the body of Christ, where we do things uh, uh, be on behalf of God and as the body of Jesus, we, we, we gather together like there's something powerful about the church gathering like this, not just getting knowledge on a Sunday. But you can get it anywhere. And so with that in mind, let's say that you receive knowledge today from the sermon and you know what happens? You, you, you have inspiration from the sermon. You say, oh, that's good. Uh, you know what, I need, to, I need to think about that. And you look at your spouse and you say, oh man, that, that's, that's us, isn't it? You say, uh-huh, amen. And, and, and like, you're inspired. Or, I, you know, I, I, somebody preaches on how to serve, like this is how it, what it looks like for a husband to serve their wife well. And you get inspired and you, you leave saying, I wanna serve my wife better. I wanna, I wanna take better care. I wanna be a good servant to, to my wife. But if you're just inspired and you don't do anything with it, you, you walk out the doors and you never serve your spouse. You're just inspired. People say amen to, you know, to a sermon, but, but, or they shout, or they jump, but then nothing changes out there. Have you ever had to deal with that in your own life? I have, where I feel something, I know God's saying something, but it requires me to change out there, and I didn't, I didn't. But see, inspiration is just the lowest level of learning. You get into connection where I'm inspired. I connect the dots of where I'm not serving my spouse the way I should be serving. And that's a different level. I'm connecting. I may not even go to the next level, but at least I'm seeing some areas. I then go to application where not only am I inspired, I connect the dots, but now I want to put two feet in a heartbeat towards what I'm doing and I'm going to act on it. I'm going to apply. I'm going to put some handlebars and I'm going to have application to the word. Jesus in his sermon on the mount, his vision sermon to the people, he says, if you hear the word, but you don't do anything with it, you're like a contractor who builds a house on sand. But if you hear the word and you do something with it, you're like a contractor who builds a house on a firm foundation. That's application. You see, then We synthesize. Not only are we taking this knowledge, inspired by it, connecting the dots, applying it, but now we're gonna get knowledge from other places. This is why it's important to read the Bible because many times you can read one section and you only get one understanding of what God means. But as you read, you see threads that go all throughout and you synthesize the scripture that he is saying all of these things to equal one thing. All of a sudden we're saying, oh, now I'm understanding, I'm synthesizing the information. And so you have all that as a learner, but every once in a while, you gotta gather all your life, put it there, place it before God as an offering, and evaluate. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. And I evaluate what should change? What should shift? What should step forward? What should go back? How, how am I spending my time? I'm talking. I'm letting iron sharpen iron. I'm inviting people into my offering and I'm saying, hey, do you see my life? You see how is there any kind of, like, what, what do you think about this? Right? And then based on that, here's, here's this next step. Creation. We then create patterns, thinking, changes, based on what we've Learned Now, many times what can happen is you are inspired. <gasps> eight minute abs. Oh, I'm in. Because right now I've got 43 year old abs that you can't see. So if in eight minutes a day, I can look like that dude, I go to create an account on Amazon and I buy it. But I haven't connected the dots of, you know what? Maybe it's more than eight minutes. Maybe I need to apply some other things. Maybe I ought to synthesize some other stuff besides my eight-minute abs, right? Or the ab shocker that I actually bought one time back in the day. It just burns you. I don't even get it. you know, you see it on the TV like they're having this spasm, and they're just ripped and sweaty. I just put it on, I was like, "Ha, ah, ah, ha, ah, Ha! Burns! Anyway. Then you value, then you create. That's the way it goes. Oh, why do I keep saying I wanna serve God, but then I get out there and I keep messing up? Could it be that you're inspired and you're connecting the dots, but the steps it takes to truly apply and synthesize and evaluate, this is where iron sharpens iron. This is where you have to do serious inventory of your heart. You can't just be, woo and just create without the work of planting that those seeds in your heart, do you see? Now, not everybody's gonna learn that way. The majority of people are just inspired. In fact, that's kind of the crowd. Um, Then there'll be less of the crowd, some that will like apply and connect. Then even less will actually synthesize the situation. Even less will evaluate, and it's the very few who actually create habits. That's the way it is. But Jesus even shows us that this is the way like we learn. This is the way we learn. Uh, look at Jesus, do you remember this story? There's a story, if you don't know it, uh, it's in three of the four gospels and it's about Jesus feeding the 5,000. He feeds 5,000 people and he feeds 5,000 people, not with a huge catering service, uh, he feeds 5,000 people with a to-go box of Cheddar Bay biscuits and tilapia from Red Lobster. It's a sack lunch, that's, it. that's all it is. And the story goes that this huge crowd had surrounded him, thousands of people, and he has compassion on them. And he asks a couple of the guys, well, let's, let's give these people something to eat. And they complain about it. It's too late. Stuff is closed. It's Sunday. Chick-fil-A is not available. What are we gonna do? And, and so he, he says, bring me what you have. And he brings, and it's a huge miracle. Well, I wanna show you, this is how Jesus operates. He had a crowd that was always following him. He had a group like 72 of the disciples. It wasn't just 12 disciples. There were all kinds of disciples. But because they went two by two, 72 of them, uh, into uh, different cities and stuff to communicate the good news. Then he had his real faithful team, the 12, uh, that would be there in the teaching time around the campfire, uh, all kinds of like deeper stuff in, in the gathering spaces. But then he had three that would go to places nobody else went and that like the garden of Gethsemane when he is gonna be betrayed, he's, he's sweating droplets of blood and only three out of all these people are close. Like there was his comrades that he really invested into. Ultimately, Jesus himself would step away from the whole crowd and all the 72 and the 12 and the three and he would spend time with his father. He would spend time with his father to make sure. He even says in the gospels, I don't do anything unless the father tells me to do it. How arrogant of us to think that we can just in a crowd, get all that we need from God. He he invites us into deeper walking and relationship with him. So in the feeding of the 5,000, you see this at play. The crowd is hungry, okay? And they're gonna experience the miracle. You can write that down. They're gonna experience the miracle. But then he breaks them into groups of 50s and 100s and he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pass it out. As soon as I get it to you, you're going to pass it out. But he gets the disciples to lead as almost like team captains. He gets them to organize the people into all these groups. And so they're getting them all set down around the crowd. It was only the three. He didn't ask the crowd, hey, what should we do for food, everybody? what y'all think? He he talked to just a select few, a small group about what should we do? Because he's teaching them something. He's helping them evaluate. Ultimately, once the to-go box gets in his hands, he goes to his father. And he clarifies with prayer and he communicates what God is going to do. This This is the power of learning. This is the layers of learning. And even Jesus shows it to us This is the way we usually learn. It is. It's the way we usually learn. But just because it's the way we usually learn, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but I also wanna show you how it can be dangerous. Now go with me to a very familiar story. Adam and Eve in the garden, perfect situation, paradise, no sin, absolute perfection, wonderful connection with God, totally unhindered, And we go to Adam and Eve and let's see if if this sounds familiar to you. Adam and Eve are given this incredible garden, 50,000 different species of trees, over 3,000 different species of apples. So he says, you're free to eat any of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. But there is this one tree. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that. Don't eat that fruit. You eat that fruit, I'm telling you, I'm not even even gonna explain it to you. You eat it, you're gonna die. Well, that's not very fair. mean, why not? I'll not eat it if you tell me why. He just says, don't eat it or you'll die. Now, why is this, is is God kind of sick that he would give them all that, but then he would give them a chance right in the middle to screw it all up? No, he's actually unbelievably loving. Let me say it to you this way. Your kids aren't really obeying you unless they're choosing to obey you. Obedience and love isn't demanded, okay? Obedience and love is something that, that grows in relationship. And God is saying, you're gonna have to obey me because I'm God but I'm going to give you a chance to obey me because I'm God and because you love me and because I've said, this is what I want you to do. And when they got the chance, it wasn't enough to just to be forced to obey God because that's not real love. That's just a creation and a creator. That's just a robot forced to follow. But because of your free will, you get to choose. Am I going to, follow him and trust him, or am I going to trust my own way and my own hunger? And sure enough, that's what happens. So we see Adam and Eve minding their own business, and here comes <laughs> Steve, the snake. No, it's, it's uh, the devil, okay? And uh, the devil asked the very first question in the Bible, did God really say, did God really say you can't eat all the... And Eva goes, well, I mean, he didn't, he, he said we couldn't eat, but, but we could eat all the other trees and, and all the other fruit. And, and, and Satan says, oh, pff, no, you can be like God. You won't die if you eat this fruit. You'll be like God. And that knowledge is very attractive. That knowledge of you being God is incredibly attractive. So guess what? Eve and Adam are inspired by that. They're, they're interested in this experience. And so you know what they do? They, they connect and apply. They say, hmm, the fruit is good. F-. The Bible says Eve saw that the fruit was good for uh, pleasing to the eye. It was good for food and it was good for knowledge, pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes right there. And so she took some and she ate and she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate. He wasn't out there, he wasn't like, in the den watching ESPN, he's like, yeah, I don't know what you do. said The snake was talking, I guess it makes sense. And so here's what happened. They do what God said not do. Everybody follow me so far? They do what God says not do, and then what they have to do is they have to reorganize their entire life. Because God had organized it, you don't worry about these things, you put your eyes on me, you trust me, you surrender to me, I'll take care of every single one of your needs. If you want to take care of all your needs on your own, then go do what I said not to do. In the meantime, trust me. And what do they do? They immediately have to reorganize instead of being vulnerable and free and living unhindered. The first thing they do is they turn their view onto themselves. They see their own lack, their own nakedness. They're ashamed. They cover themselves. They sew fig leaves together and they think God must be mad at me, so we better go hide. We better go hide. Sure enough, the Creator comes by and He doesn't kick over the tree here and rip up the bush here and say, what in the name of me is going on in here? The first question God asks in the Bible is, where are you? Does he know? Yes. But he's situating the situation with clarity and communication. Where are you? His next question, who, who, who told you? You were naked? Have you ever asked your kids some questions and then they're thinking in the back of my brain, like, oh, dang, I wish I would have thought of that. I can totally see Adam. Now, who told you were naked? I, I'm God. I created all this. I've loved you and you've loved me and I've brought you everything. And you were, listen- now, now what was it again? It was a slippery, slimy snake. Who told you that you were naked? What? had they just trusted God, had they just gone with the clarity and the communication that God had already invited them to have. They went through this process, but because God wasn't in the middle of it, they were in the middle of it and their desire for knowledge was in the middle of it. Even though this is a way to learn, this is a way they learned the wrong thing in the right way. Now that's the way we usually learn, but there is a better way. The rest of the time we have, here's how you learn the right way. Here's a better way to learn. If, if you will get this, I'm telling you, what if you could fix learning stuff the hard way? What if you could live with fewer regre- regrets and less hurts and better decisions? You got to start with God first. It's, it's God first, everything after that. God first, everything else after that. God first, everything else after that. Oh, God first and nothing after that? No, no. God first, everything else after that. Oh, you like in my time? Yeah, God first. Well, then I can't have fun anymore? No, no, everything else after that. God first. Even in, like, what about my finances and my money? And some of you are like, "Oh, here we go. Going to have the finance talk." I know this church just after my money. No, no, no. Coors Light's after your money. God first, and yeah, everything else after that. Put him first, and everything, and everything. So he says, "Take your your." Paul says, "Take it as an offering. Place it before God, and." Fix your attention on God, you'll be changed from the inside out. So let me show you how this works. I invite God, instead of being at the end of all my learning process, I start there. I start with God. I start with God, the creator of the universe. Nobody has a better owner's manual on your life than the one who designed you. He owns the patents. He understands you better than anybody understands you. Don't end here. He shouldn't be your last resort. You start with him first. And you start with him and his word to clarify and communicate your questions, your frustrations, Your, 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 your stuff that rubs you the wrong way, the stuff that doesn't make sense to you, that the culture's saying, do it this way and do it that way and love this way and make it that way. And you're saying, okay, well, I got all this knowledge, but I want to come back and I want to get clarity and communication from the first place, first things first, first person first, God first. I get clarity and my, and my next steps from him first then, then based on what he says, I can evaluate all around me. Not based on what this person's personal experience is or that person's church experience is. That I evaluate based on what God says, not just what I feel. If I can go through this process of now evaluating based on God being the key to my life, I evaluate and think, and I am transformed by renewing of my mind, I then can synthesize and I can organize my life Around those thoughts. Whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is truthful, whatever is kind, whatever is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. I start with him and his character, his convictions, his conduct. I evaluate my life, then I synthesize and I organize my life around what he says is most important. Then I'm able to do. And if I'm starting with him first, nothing is more important, God first, everything after that, but tends to be. And and Jana and I fight this tractor beam. We fight this suction all the time where we wanna put kids first, kids first, kids priorities first, The, the stuff first. It's hard, it's hard. It's hard we got to come back and say, okay, our, where we have to put it in front of God as an offering. And don't, don't let a pastor put it in front and de- define your offering. That's you. That's you. Okay? Do all the stuff. Um, Jan and I have done all the stuff. Uh, our, our best friends, they're doing all the stuff. All the stuff. There's nothing wrong with the stuff. But I have to evaluate, is the stuff becoming the first thing. Are you with me? Yes. You are responding terrible in the Lufkin location. Uh, just a little bit of a, mmm, that's good, that would be helpful, okay? So here's your chance. Mmm, that's, that's good, okay. no, mm-hmm. oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and you know what? Ultimately, if God is our clarifier and communicator, and we think on him, and we organize around him, and then we do the most important things first, guess what happens? We're an inspiration to those around us. We're an inspiration to the crowd. Do you know what happens on the day of Pentecost when the church is birthed? The very first day of the church, they're gathered with God, trying to get clarity and communication. They're spending time with God. He empowers them, organizes them into different languages. They're praying in different languages. People on the street are inspired and saying, they're speaking my language. Oh, what is this? And it invites people to a life centered in Jesus because they started with the first things first. So that knowledge, you're gonna get it anywhere, but God come boldly towards him first. As a finish up, let me give you the last three thoughts. God, number one, will only take one place. God will not take third place in your life because if you place him in third place, he is not God in your life. If he's not first, he's not God. I'll say it, the prophet Ricky Bobby. If you ain't first, you're last. If God ain't first, he's not God. God will only take one place. And you know what he does? He models what he expects. In the beginning, in the very first, God Creates, for God so loves the world, he gives his one and only son. He doesn't give you a mathematical equation. He gives you like the first thing, like his most valuable treasure in heaven. He spends it on you. He puts you first by sending his first to you. God will only take one place. Which place are you giving him? Number two, give God the first of not just a Sunday, but gave God the first of everything. The, the first consultant that you ask about a situation, the, the first person you seek in the morning, the, 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 the first uh, comfort you need after a long day at work. I'm, a, I'm all about relaxing after work and, and just kind of kicking the feet up. But he ought to be our first response, not our last resort for any kind of thing. Hey, I take Tylenol in the morning. I take it, I just pop them in. But I've even recognized that sometimes my first response is to just take Tylenol instead of saying, Jesus, I I still have this headache. I don't know what's going on. My back's still hurting. I'm just, I'm tired of of, of hurting like this. And so instead of even praying over it, and I'm not saying medicine's wrong by any means. If you heard that, (laughs) fix your ear. You need medicine for your ears. It's called a Q-tip. But like I'm saying to you, I wonder how often I've given my daughter, my 19-year-old advice when what I should have just given her is listening and just saying, when you talk to the Lord about that, what is he saying? I I need to train her up to go to God first, not dad first. Parents, teach your kids to go to God first, not mom first. That is good. That'll preach. Again, you're, you're, resp- you're getting it. You're getting it. You're getting it. You're getting it. Let's, let me finish. I wish there's a piano up here or something so I could just like feel more spiritual and just come on up. Oh uh, No, not, you don't even know how to play the piano. So I'll play. Then, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> They're not supposed to come up until later, but they better hurry because I'm already kind of running late. Number two, give the God the first of everything the first of my year, write it down. This is a no better time, first month, just decide, as for me and my house, you got, this is the last Sunday of the first month of 2023. You're never gonna have another Sunday in January in 2023. They're done. You'll never get a Sunday in January, 2023 again. So why not decide today, first of my year, I'm dedicating God first. First of my month, hey, we, we announced it today. First Wednesday is coming First Sunday, first Wednesday of every single month, extended time of worship. I think it is a critical time in the life of our church. I think the enemy wants to come in like a flood. I think this is the people of God setting a standard against that. And I think it doesn't happen just on a Sunday. It happens in specific powerful moments where we get out of our daily routine of like even a Sunday and we get in, we just seek the presence of God and we just lift up the name of Jesus. And we're gonna do that. It's not gonna be a whole lot of preaching. It's gonna be a lot of worship, some prayers, some like encouragement. I, I, I know that there are not gonna be a lot of preaching, you want to clap at that. That's okay. That hurt my feelings a little bit, but that's all right. Yes. The first of my week, I'm kidding. The first of my day. First of my week is a Sunday. First of my day in the morning, I put my feet out on the ground. Am I going to the iPhone? Am I frustrated of this and that and the other? What am I going to first? Number three, an out of order life is a broken life. An out of order life is a broken life. When you see an out of order sign on the vending machine, it's just a cool way to say, this sucker's broken. This sucker's broken. And what you think you're gonna get out of it, you can push every button and you can smack it on the side and you can shake it and you can get mad at it and you can keep depositing into it. But if it's out of order, it's just another way to say, it's broken. If your life has something besides God as first, it's out of order. And that's just a kind way to say, you're broken. And it doesn't matter what you keep putting into it and what you wish would come out of it and how much you wish you could get it. An out of order life is a broken life. But when we put God first and everything else after that, when order is restored, Reese's peanut butter cups are released. <laughs> Blessings are released. When order is restored, I receive maybe not everything I want, maybe not everything I asked for, maybe not everything that I thought I needed, but I will always receive what God knows that I need in that moment that I needed because he's a good God and he's clear and he's the creator and he knows you better than you know you and every hair on your head is numbered and he sees you going to bed and he sees you waking up and 26 years of sleep and 7 years worrying he says to you, I'm, a, I'm 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 gonna make things straight for you. I'm gonna make things clear for you. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Go to him first. At all of our locations, let's pray. Father, thank you for meeting us where we are today. With no one moving around, and every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm gonna pray for just a couple different people in the room. The first you you would say, uh, Jeremy, I, I got a lot of stuff going on and it's almost hard to like, man, how do I stop long enough to put God first? I just need, I just need his help. I want that. I just, I'm not quite for sure how to do that. And I would say to you, you're not alone and I get it and it's a daily thing. As, as, as a matter of fact, I, I jumped into this prayer, but let me, let me show you something. Let me show you something. Everybody, Put your eyes back up real quick. Will you go back to the, go back to the whole triangle thing? The pyramid scheme. <laughs> All right, right here. You know how Jesus teaches us to pray? Our Father in heaven, clearly communicate who's in charge, who sees more than we can see. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I'm gonna evaluate based on you, okay? Give us this day, we're gonna organize today, give us this day our daily bread. And you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna forgive debts as we forgive those that have debts against us and like, we're indebted to them and they're indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, I don't wanna do that delivers from evil for yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. And when I sent, when, when I recalibrate my life, even in the Lord's prayer, do you see how it works? Do you see? Okay. Back to prayer. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Jesus, we want to recalibrate our lives today. Would you give us insight on how to do it one step at a time with heads bowed and eyes still closed? You're here in It's not so much recalibrating or resorting the laundry, so to speak, it's more about, you've never invited Jesus to be your savior. And today is the day, like he wants to be first in your life and he's not mad at you for not putting him first, but he'll take first right now. It's already been given to you. You just have to receive that gift. And in your own words, you'd say, Jesus, I don't wanna be my own God. I don't have anything before you. I want you to be first in my life, in my actions, in my attitudes. Be my savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me to to really pay for that right to be number one. You're, You're number one, God. And I receive you today as my Lord and savior. And then for all of us in the room, Lord, we're living busy breakneck speed lives. May we find rest in you. We ask it in Jesus name. Everybody said, amen.